Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And we are... Together! Together at last. The dynamic Going Off Track duo. <laughs> it's true. It's been a while since we did this. I suppose, yeah. You were on the road, I, I was on the road. You were on the road, I was on the plane. We're on the plane. Yeah. Um... So what's new, Brad? Well, it's springtime in Brooklyn. Or yes, at least it, it was yesterday. Yeah. I don't know about today. I don't know about today either. They are um, raising our neighborhood. By raising it, I mean literally tearing down every standing structure that is not uh, residential. It's fucking insane. Yeah. It's just cranes everywhere. Yeah, but and construction sites. They just tore, The funny thing is, is that like this neighborhood where we are is mostly at Converse Rubber Tracks Studio. Converse.com slash Rubber Tracks. Converse slash music. Slash music dot com <laughs> backslash Brad. Actually, most of those will get you there. Somehow. Forward slash But it's like, music. you know, as you know, it's like it's an industrial, it's kind of one of the last Williamsburg industrial neighborhoods. Yeah. It's all cinder block. Like everything's a, essentially a one-story cinder block building. So like when they go to tear them down, they do it like the, across the street, they tore down almost a half a block's worth of buildings in like four days. And the thing is, is it wasn't like a bunch of guys with trucks. It was like a bunch of Mexican guys with pickaxes. Right, right. They're just literally knocking down concrete walls. So, so yeah. But Rubber's track still standing. Still here, man. Maintain. <laughs> maintain. <laughs> um, who's also maintaining is our guest this week. Oh, yeah. Maintaining in a big way. Maintaining in a big way. Uh, Kristen <laughs> Control. You may also know her as uh, Dee Dee from the Dum Dum Girls. And, uh, yeah, she has a solo record coming out as Kristen Control called Excommunicate. And it comes out on May 27th on Sub Pop. Rock on. That should be next week. Very soon. Yeah. So you can hear, I think she released a single already, Show Me. And uh, she's going to be touring in June. She's playing um, upstate, New Hampshire, Boston, Brooklyn, doing a few dates in June. Um and probably touring more. And uh, yeah, I didn't really know Kristen going into this, but she lives in Harlem. Yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. And yeah, and we have a lot of the same friends and she was super cool. She's very smart. Very great, smart. Great interview. Yeah, great interview. Super interesting person. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it. Let uh, her speak for herself. Let her speak for herself. So <laughs> here is Kristen Control. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Jonah's Lame Podcast. I should not have done this hot yoga class this morning. Oh, yes, you should have. I thought it was going to give me all this energy, and I just feel like... Did it zap you? Do you not do it normally? I usually do it later in the day. I've never done it. I did like 10 a.m. today. I'm the same way. I don't have good balance until 5 p.m., so I always do classes at like 6. What kind of stuff? I do hot yoga. You do? Yeah. Yeah, I fall over and like positions that aren't a problem for me later on in the day it's yeah. like i don't know i think i think it's my sinuses i have like stuff in them or something like okay it takes me some hours to get my equilibrium that's cool where do you go so i used to do um like a lot of mysore and then i got injured and i've been going to this place moto yoga in williamsburg you like it i do like it yeah it's weird because like when you do ashtanga i feel like all the ashtanga teachers are like this is like real yoga. They like, all every yeah. So I like faction was, has that. So like attitude. turned off to other styles, uh-huh. and then I was like, I guess I'll try this because my sister lives in the West Village, and she was going to the same studio there, and I was like, this is so intense. Like I assumed I was like, oh, this will be a piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I went in like I I uh, I did Pilates and yoga out of like books from the seventies, like since I was a preteen, and then when I first started doing classes, I like jumped into um, Bikram, which was insane, yeah. and I did for a year, and then was like, this is a cult. No, I <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I had not done any other hot yoga. And then I was traveling for work. I was in Seattle for like some sub pop meeting and I went to like a random cheesy like yoga studio and just took whatever their basic hot class was. And I was like, oh, I really like this. This is fine. Totally. Never looked back. Um, you good? I'm good. Are you good? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'll be fine. I think if I drink some more of this coffee, I'll be good. Just drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. Lots. Um, <laughs> and then have a shot of whiskey. That's a good idea. It's called a trifecta. You should get a pint of Guinness and then have buy a shot of Jameson and you and you dump that and then you have brought yourself a shot of espresso. Dunk that. Hey man. So like it's like, an Irish speedball. Yeah, see like Irish carbon <laughs> exactly. salad, you just drop them in. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. I've never tried that. Yeah, it's good. My friend is a bartender and he started serving us like Irish car bombs and like they're so good. I hadn't had one in like 10 years. I was like, this is delicious. I feel kind of fucked up saying the name. Yeah, I do too. It's it's super fucked up. Yeah. I wonder what the origin of that is. Um, <laughs> the name or the name? The like, drink. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's Irish beer and whiskey and is there... Is there, although isn't it with Bailey's? So there's like a curdling thing or am I confusing well, it with a brain? if you drop it into brain? fast, it explodes. Yeah. That, I think that's what it is. It's a, it's, two, two, it's two. the fizzies. Do you ever go to like a sushi place and like there's all those signs that say like no sake bombs? No. I feel like I maybe go to like lower rent sushi places, but I feel like a lot of them will like, cause I think that like. A sake right. bomb is the same thing where you do a shot of sake into like a Sapporo or something? Yeah, but it's like, it really splashes up. Like I've been oh, there where like oh. people are like, they break so a lot into of glasses. I'm not so into the bomb, the like, it's not really my thing, but the, the thing I mentioned is good for like, it's a higher quality sparks or like four loco type approach to. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Alcohol, and it doesn't involve using drugs. Yeah, that's true. What do you think if there was like a coconut water based like alcohol? Like if it was like hydrating, but also <laughs> do you think that's something people would be into? I do, but I actually, as I drink my, I'm rich, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> bullshit water. Um <laughs> I think kombucha cocktails are the future. Oh, really? I've never had a kombucha cocktail. Um, but that makes sense. Yeah. Just do it with like vodka or whatever. Yeah. They also now make um, higher alcoholic, like intentionally more beer-like kombuchas. There's okay. one that has a terrible name called kombucha that a few <laughs> bars have on tap that I'm always like, yeah, because I'm not a beer person. Okay. Um, but I will drink some of that for sure. Kombucha. I was thinking about trying yeah. to make it because it's supposed to be pretty easy to make your own kombucha. Yeah, I've made it before. Have you made it? Mm-hmm. It's just like um, waiting, but then, you know, you have to stay That's on top of it. Part. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I almost bought this kit the other day, but then I was worried. You don't just, even need a kit. You don't? No. In fact, when I made mine, I think I Googled it and like a Brooklyn blog came up and walked you through it, but I just, you just save 
the like teeny mother slime from a store-bought kombucha. Okay. And then you just grow it basically, which consists of feeding it sugar, you know? So you make a, a tea with a ton of sugar and then you put that thing in it and then you just let it chill in a cupboard with cheesecloth cover for like, I don't know, I can't remember now, a couple weeks. Do, do, and the, the mother ends up being like a real one. You don't need like a special kind of jar or anything? It's just kind of... Um, I was using like a really big mason jar. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, you can buy the kit. I'm sure it'd be easier, but sometimes I... Um, I both respect and hate when people like make things easier, but charge you a lot for yeah, it. You buy a yeah. kit and you get it and you're like, fuck this, this is a jar and directions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. yeah. Like, Google yeah. It. It's you should, a good idea. You, yeah. DIY. It really was that simple. And okay. then it's like, once you have, you do like a couple different stages of growing it, like making more tea and adding it. And then at a certain point you just take, it just like goes on and on and on and you can add fruit juice or like ginger or whatever your thing is. I will say I never made one that tasted as good as like ones that I've bought. Really? Same with, I make sauerkraut too. And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I refuse to pay $7 for what is essentially a 69 cent head of cabbage. Yeah. And Fermented. salt. Yeah. That's all it is though. You just stuff it in a jar with salt. Yeah. And it, that's all it is. You let it rot. Yeah. But it wasn't good? Yours wasn't good? It wasn't bad. It just wasn't was like... Was as good as the stores? No. I don't I think mean, I've ever made sauerkraut. I think I just haven't made it enough. It was like right. I made it a handful of times. It's hard to do fermenting stuff when you travel a lot. So like when I'd have <laughs> pockets of time, you know, so it gets a little dangerous. Feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just wasn't as tasty. I was like, I, I clearly like haven't figured this out completely. Right. There's a secret ingredient. Little touch. I think of it's patience or vinegar. understanding or something. No good. Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. So you live in New York, mm -hmm. but you're from California originally. <clears throat> yeah, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm from a suburb near Berkeley, California. Okay. I went to college at UC Santa Cruz. I moved to Southern California for a couple of years. Moved back to the Bay Area, and then moved out here. So I've been here about five years. Okay, gotcha. And I've always lived really far away from other people, like top of Upper East Side, and then now I'm in Harlem. W sort of... Nice. Why, was there Harlem. like... Why? why? <laughs> not, not in a judgmental <laughs> way. I'm just curious. Um, it was two twofold. Um, since I was a little kid, I like, you know, romanticized the like New York stuff that took place in the city. So I like had it in my head. I was going to live in like, the East Village or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it was more like, that's a really hard move to make obviously across country and you need all this money and like, uh, what's going to happen. Um, but my manager who is from New York, but has lived in London for like 10 years, just mentioned once like, Oh, I, I have kept my apartment in New York that I've had since like 94. And I, my subletter just gave me notice. So I got to find someone to move in. And I was like, and that was in Harlem. Oh, uh, no, it was 95th and second. So literally uh, right. just at the border of like Yorkville and um, where Harlem starts. So uh, I asked him if I could make our relationship like even more <laughs> incestuous and he could become my landlord. And he was like, yeah. 
So I didn't have to, you know, pay a deposit or yeah, anything. Great. It was so, so chill. And um, it was huge. Unfortunately, it was kind of a shitty building. So um, it didn't have the like nice little pre-war touches that being from San Francisco and like having lived in the mission, like right. there's like nothing that feels quite like looking up and seeing that little corner, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah. all pretty. Um, so the building itself was pretty cheap, but it was huge. It was two floor like open loft thing that he had Jesus. put up walls himself and like made a bedroom small bedroom and office that like had doors and then there was like a now an oddly shaped living room space kitchen and then like spiral steps up to the huge second floor was just my bedroom but he had closed off the steps so there was privacy so it was amazing um and it was really cheap. It was like 2200 and we had a roommate and she lived downstairs. We live upstairs and it wow. was like perfect. We paid $800 each, you oh know, just God. split it down the thirds or whatever. But I think they got sick of him subletting or I think they caught wind of it. Um, and when one of the, one of the winters, the storm... We were on the seventh floor and like our ceiling started leaking and we had this huge cave in and had a hole and they repaired it. They did a shitty job. And so the next winter, like the first snow, same thing happened. And I was on tour and my husband was on tour and our roommate was maybe not, was just working so much that no one could follow up and harass them. Like right. fucking fix this hole in our apartment. Like it's leaking. It's ruining our couch. Like. I'm allergic to all mold. Like this sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just reached a point where I was like, I'm, I can't deal with this. It's yeah. not, it's not worth it. Um, then I moved to 85th and York for a year and that was too real Upper East Side yeah. for me. That's I, pretty Upper East Side. So then I rebelled and went to Spanish Harlem because I found this incredible two bedroom like 1900 building exposed fireplace like what you want in harlem yeah so right that's there. where i am now gotcha cool. when you're home do, or do you like hang out i mean i imagine like after touring do you like to just kind of hang out around around your place or do you go out a lot in new york or what's your um <clears throat> in general my like default i'm like pretty homebody yeah um i have to make like remember that I need to like be social <laughs> um but living there is like pretty conducive to just staying there obviously um I started DJing a lot okay in the last couple months and I DJ mainly in the East Village and in Chinatown so what do you DJ um I was doing like a weekly at Berlin until I started traveling about a month ago um which was cool it was like whatever, kind of rock-based, try to play always, like, a lot of women, whatever genre I'm doing. Um, and then I also DJ at Mr. Fong's in Chinatown, where I do more of, like, a kind of weird dance thing. Have you done stuff in Night of Joy? Yeah, yeah, and I that was, okay. like, where I would do one-offs, because I'm friends with Jen. Me too. Yeah, yeah so that too. was, like, you know, she'd be like, oh, here, I'll hook you up yeah. with, like, a night... I think I've seen your name on like those like yeah 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 when she, she does the band stuff yeah, yeah. yeah but this was more like I had to start hustling to make some money so gotcha yeah um, it's fun I really like it but it doesn't really 
it's not a social experience typically. The Mr. Fong's nights are maybe. That might be my favorite place to DJ. I don't know if you've ever been there. No, I've never been there. I really like it. I really like one of the owners and the DJ booth is like in the corner, kind of next to where a makeshift kitchen is and you kind of can see everything and it's small enough and I feel like this might just be like the optimistic take on it, but everybody there, while like looking pretty cool, um, they don't vibe me like jaded at all. Like they're, they enjoy themselves. It's like in terms of like being the DJ, it's the best audience I've ever had because nobody is like whiny and makes requests. Like people come up and ask me what I'm playing or say like, I love this or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, it feels really positive. How do you sort of handle the requesting when someone requests something that like you would never play? Because I always um, just say, yeah, sure, and then just don't do it. <laughs> it depends, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, it's really funny, and, and there's a couple different ways that I play it out. Usually I'm, like, very opposed to requests, but then when it's, like, a night where there's good energy like that, if the request fits into, like, not like I do things, like, super exclusive genre-wise, but I remember the first time I DJed at Mr. Fong's, I was only playing women, Um and like toward the end of the night when probably the concept of the night was no longer clear, you know, to whoever, like the new wave of people right. that were there, this kid came up to me and asked me to play Popcon, um, who's like a Jamaican sort of reggaeton pop singer. He's been, he's, he's been like featured in things like, I think I knew him from like a Jamie XX song or something. Super good. But I was like, I'm only like, I'm no, right. sorry. I'm only playing women and. And he was like, dude, you really need to check him out. He's really good. And I was like, okay. So I like checked it out. I was like, that is really good. So then I played it, um, which was fine. Um, It's good to be flexible. For sure. And I like all good music. And it was like three in the morning, so it's not a big deal. Um, At Berlin, it's like a rock and roll bar, like all of the like whatever. I know Jesse really well. Yeah, so you know the vibe. So, so I get like obnoxious drunk people that ask me to play hip hop or, you know, like they want something that they can dance to that, you know, like craft work isn't doing it for them or something. And so, you know, I'm relatively patient and I'm also just not good at being like, fuck off. Right. I'm working on it. I'm like looking for a class or a book to help me with that. Um, but this one couple, they're just like... <coughs> why are you here? Like, I'm not playing any of the music you repeatedly are asking for, and I'm just not. Like, it's just not what's happening tonight. Like, I'm only playing whatever. And then we started talking, and I think I had put on, like, um, I don't know, like a later Primal Scream or, like, Depeche Mode or Pet Shop Boys or something that, like, you know, fit what I was doing, but but the dude, like, appreciated that he could, like, dance to it. Right. And so then we had a common ground and then what we came up with was chemical brothers and and that worked for both of us and then they left and it was a relief <laughs> <laughs> yeah it can be so obnoxious i had a girl i was djing actually jesse's other place niagara one time and mm. this girl came up and she's like can you play green day and i go you mean other than this green day song that's on right now <laughs> no yeah really yeah Wow. That was typical for that. Place. Unrelated, but kind of related. Today, I had a series of interviews, and I am I talk too much. I'm, like, really tired, but I'm also really caffeinated, so 
I get long-winded. So I tried to set alarms to like remind myself like, oh, I need to leave and go to this next one. And my alarm is, if if you've never had Heroes, the song is your alarm, I highly recommend it because I've had it for, I don't know, maybe six months now, but I've done it over the the last 10 years, like every couple years. I'm like, oh yeah, that was such a pleasant way to wake up. So anyway, I set it to that and it went off while at the Ace Hotel, the song was on. And so I thought I was listening to the song and like the guy that was interviewing me was like, is your phone on? And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, that's my alarm. He's like, is that, is that Bowie? I was like, yeah. He's like, this song? I was like, what? It's a sign. I'm out. Bye. It's like, you really need to go. You're really going to be late. I didn't know you could set a song for an alarm. Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know, it's somewhere in the setting. Any sound for anything. I've fucked up, I've fucked myself for a song because I used Police on My Back, the Clash song, as like a ringtone for when the alarm company calls from here you. calls me. So like the only time I would hear that, because it starts with the guitar. Nah, 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 oh, so it's always bad so news. So it's really piercing. Yeah. 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 So like I'd get, I'd get this fucking call at two in the morning from like the alarm company that like there was an <laughs> alarm sensor had gone off. It's never been anything like a break-in so far yet. But not is that like the Equals song? It's a Clash song. I know, but is it? Is my brain not (laughs) the Equals? Police on my back as I'm running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's a '60s song. The Equals. Oh, it's a cover. That's what I think. Running. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I may be wrong, but I may be right. But anyway, now every time I hear the Clash song, it fucking, I hate, it makes me anxious. Uh, yeah. yeah, that sucks, so dude. Yeah, that like, does suck. You should change it to something you hate. <laughs> Have you considered Heroes? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how that would, if it was an alarm. It just like, makes everything dude, sound nice. Yeah, that yeah. is definitely. Because just think about it, how Joyce is that like. <laughs> I was reading an article about that um, when he did that. Um, that's, what's his name? Eno. No. It's not, you know, it's the guitar player. What's the guitar player's name? Eno produced it, right? I don't know, man. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, it's part of that, the whole Berlin. But it's the guitar player who, like, is really known for that kind of ambient guitar stuff. Is it Frippy? Yeah, Fripp. Robert. Yeah. And supposedly, like, the way he does that, it's not feedback. It's like, or no, it is feedback. It sounds like it's like a um, slide or something. But it's just him playing, like, leaning into the speakers and getting the feedback and then multi-tracked. That's amazing. And that's like a hook. Yeah. Feedback That's hook. crazy. It's awesome. Super cool. How did you kind of get exposed to, like, 60s music and that type of stuff? Um, that was the first thing I was exposed to just through my parents. Um, they were both teachers but, like, came from, you know, music-loving households, I guess. And my dad was a singer and or is a singer. In the shower um, but like the the lineage of singing is is on his side and then my mom was just a fan and he was about 14 years older than her and so they had like their own you know favorites and they had a really small record collection and I think I had a Miss Piggy record player or like some child Sesame Street record player or something um so yeah through her it was like classics she was um like a 60s you know kid so she and in California, so Beatles, Stones, and then all the like San Francisco stuff, like Big Brother, Jefferson Airplane, that stuff, and then LA, 
doors, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. And then my dad was really into crooners and um, just singers from all genres. So I got into, I guess, like early 60s, kind of like jazz vocalist stuff. And then um, I guess a little more on the 50s side, but like, you know, Billy Holiday and Elvis and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of just like born into that. Gotcha. What that was about, the normal stuff. What about when you started playing guitar? Like what were some of the stuff like you wanted to learn or like the first song? Um, or? well, I, my dad, as I said, was a teacher and he taught at San Leandro high school and he taught like industrial arts. So he did whatever he taught there forever and, um, was friends with one of the music teachers and I, at the time, this was middle school. So I was in orchestra. I played the violin and like, you know, I was a singer too, but like very closeted. Um, but I was start, I like grunge happened, you know? So I had cut my hair like Angelina Jolie and hackers and like freaked my parents out and wore safety pins and loved Courtney Love, et cetera. And I must have expressed some interest in like playing guitar. So my dad, probably trying to avoid like the amplified noise thing, got a really beautiful 60s like nylon string guitar from his coworker and gave that to me. Um, and then I, I remember I called my friend, my best friend, Sean at the time, and I had him like teach me how to tune it because he was like one of the young, really good at guitar type, you know, in bands from 12 years old or something. And he helped me tune it. And then he wrote out tab for me. So the first song I ever learned on guitar was Man Who Sold the World, coincidentally. Uh -huh. um, although this was like through the Nirvana right. thing. Um, and then I learned 1979. Okay. And then I'm going to cop to this. I learned Glycerine by Bush. Um, but I like was really hung up on the sound that sliding bar chords made. Oh, yeah. It like really bothered me. Now I love it, but like I felt like it was indicative of me doing something wrong, and I was really a perfectionist uh, at that point, and um, just like kind of just said whatever, um, and started instead writing songs like on a weird little Casio keyboard. That was my outlet at that point. Then in high school. I took a guitar class um, as an elective one quarter of, I think, my sophomore or junior year, potentially motivated by, like, a boy, potentially, <laughs> like, a cute boy. Um, and I somehow made it through an entire quarter of this class and like made no progress and my choir teacher taught this guitar class and I was like you know a total nerd in high school like a weird nerd but like a straight A goody two shoes type total choir nerd so she must have just given me a pass for like really not learning much in this guitar class but it was like a nice break now that I think about it I was like I did way too much stuff at that age like I, f I went through like a burnout my first year of college because I was oh, like, oh my God, why did kids. I, why did I work so hard <laughs> in fucking high school? I'm going to UC Santa Cruz, like by choice, but like I could have 
taking a breather in high school <laughs> if I knew I was going to end up there, you know? Um, so I think that class kind of functioned as like a little bit of a break in my day. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that too. I was like, I had to be at school like seven o'clock in the morning yeah. and I was there every day. And I did like sports year round and I did like musical theater and like all these activities. Uh, but did you do the like the senior year blow off when you, after you get accepted to college? You no. just fucking blow no, all off the way. your second semester. Nope. Really? <laughs> no, not at all. No, I like. What was the point at that point? Because they always say like they learning. Always, I was a nerd. Yeah, I was like really motivated to learn. Okay. Um, no, that's great. I got. That's not bullying. I was uh, flying back from Berlin a couple days ago, and I was sat on the plane. It was like three really tying this whole Bowie thing in together. Not though. even meaning to. That's so funny. No, this is like an age joke. Um, three, you know, three seats. I'm at the window. I uh, this whole little press trip I'd been on. Every single flight I had was at seven in the morning, which meant I had like to get up at four thirty right. for like a whole week, and I just spent two or three weeks on the west coast so my body was just like i don't even know you anymore you know and i was like taking sleeping pills and like drinking a gallon of coffee just like to try to sort of anyway i'm on the plane middle seats empty dude is there i'm like dude you know i can tell i'm a, a little bit older but i'm like oh he's probably like i don't know mid 20 maybe still in college i don't know whatever we don't talk at all we're approaching landing, you know, many hours later, I've watched Sisters, the like Tina Fey movie and like... How was it? I thought it was kind of dumb, but I laughed out loud so <laughs> many times that okay. it, I think it was great. I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty... <laughs> I love her. She, it was funny. Anyway, I look over at this kid and he's reading a fucking AP history like prep exam book, which means he's like either a junior or a senior in high school. And I was like, oh my God, I totally took that class. <laughs> 16 years ago, I am two of yous. I am two of yous. Like, ah. Yeah, anyway, that was all good luck. <laughs> I mean, how does it, like, when you're doing a press tour, is it, do you just get sick of talking? I mean, I'd imagine, especially a tour like this, people are like, why are you <clears> playing <throat> under your name? Like, I imagine you get a lot of the same questions. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, at the start of something, there's obviously a lot of, you know, groundwork to be laid just like the basics but uh no i really like it and there's something extra well it, it's just specific to these like european press tours where it's it's not like i mean today for example i've been running around and i've had like a whole lineup of things but that's not very usual that's more just so that it's easier for me to knock everything out normally it's like you have one thing randomly one day whatever but over there yeah, it's. I think it probably just makes you feel, um, I don't know, it's just a trip, but like people are really nice to you. It's like an excuse to travel. Um, I've found, although I didn't go to France this time around, but like the way, the tone that um, journalists use with you in Paris, for example, you just feel like they they legitimately regard you as an artist, you know? Oh, really? Which is cool. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, oh, wow, you would probably, like, they're just, like, extra thoughtful questions, especially if, like, you have at any point ever mentioned that you read books (laughs) or, like, mentioned, like, whatever that you, like, some French something or other. Like, it it goes far. 
um, yeah, German, like my experience in Germany is usually, um, there's some like real blunt things that happen, you know, like at the end of one of my interviews, the, the writer was like, well, I still haven't fully wrapped my head around this album. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. But you know, that's better than, yeah, I I actually much more prefer your second record. And why don't you do it more like that now? Yeah, that's like, pretty. That sounds pretty uh, mellow for a German. Yeah, I've heard people like I've been in the podcast. I've been like, last time you came, you look good. Now you look fat. Why? <laughs> and it's just like I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean that there's something to be said for like uh, I appreciate that. Like it's it's more irritating to, for people to be like to placate or be like right. hyper polite. Right. You know, like I I uh, study German. I went I went to college there for a year. Like I. I'm uh, familiar with that, um, and it, I think it's good for me personally to be around, um, not just like linguistically, it's very direct, um, but yeah, there, there can be like, there's no tiptoeing around a lot of the times. Um, it's good for me because it makes me a little uncomfortable, and it's probably good to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah that's true. That is true. Um, when it comes to, so you've, you've you're your solo record coming out next month or may it's april what now? Ma- uh, hmm. it's i know it's 420 today oh my god yeah do you have any weed i don't sadly <sighs> well actually maybe we'll talk after it might <laughs> um so you don't have any special plans obviously i didn't think <laughs> of what the day was no you know what the thing is i mean uh, no one will deliver to Harlem. Oh, um, in terms of like your, you know, your like fancy text service right, bullshit. Right. So, and I haven't definitely know one of my neighbors deals, but like he's younger than me, and I just like I feel a little morally weird about like, no, you know, him? or just like I wouldn't, <laughs> I would never want to contribute to him getting in trouble for right. like selling uh, weed like whatever so anyway I'm, I'm sitting on the solution but i can't bring myself <laughs> to take advantage of it uh, yeah, yeah when, it might be a bit too nice yeah <laughs> i'm too nice you are really i nice. know yeah I, it's a thing well is that like can you be like do you like try to avoid confrontation that's i mean i do too but i like, don't try to avoid it um i i avoid it yeah. no um <laughs> no i yeah it's not my natural thing i but you know i always make it worse by avoiding you know i and i recognize that um i (laughs) i was at this bar i used to go to a lot in berlin i used to spend a lot of time there like one month a summer for like quite a few years um and there's a bar there called noi great name super cool same logo and everything (laughs) really yeah and uh my good friend who's the guy that actually signed me to sub pop so like in effect responsible for like everything for taking a chance on me um he now lives there and works for soundcloud and after harassing him about helping me develop an app idea he was just like go away like (laughs) this is what i do for a living i'm not no no um we were somehow talking about yes the this the hard conversations or whatever and and he was like oh i just read a self help book called difficult conversations and it has a method and it's like a step by step thing and i found it really helpful because he now 
like manages a team. He has like 10 people under him and he's very nice and very smart and like good at his job, but like not maybe not the natural like, you know, more alpha leader type. So I may or may not have put it on my Amazon Interesting. I'll have to check Wish that out. List. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who like has a corporate job and he has to like fire people. And, yeah, like, that's he's, like, the same thing. That's what led him to this. Yeah, book. He'll be like, someone came in my office today and started crying, and I was like, well, it's not really your job to talk to him. He's like, well, it sort of is my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, difficult conversations. Difficult conversations. And it's a list, and like for me, that is helpful. I'm like, oh, there are directions that I can follow. That is helpful. Maybe. I might need that list. Yeah. Well, is Kindle like Netflix? Can you share? Uh, you can, but it's like a very roundabout way. Yeah. You'd have to like add all these yeah, devices, you, pretend they're yours type basically, thing. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Or, we're not close enough for that. No. Like, no. Okay. <laughs> um, you can also borrow books, I think, somehow. Really? Like from Kindle. Like, yeah, certain books like you can have. They're like rent that's like a time. Yeah. And you can also do it from the public library here. No. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Yeah, this is. I talk about this all the time because it makes me so mad. <laughs> you so, can get books at. Yes, there's you, a place mm, that the public library yeah. has like a whole system. No, but they make you wait for books the same way they would with actual Real books. books. Yeah, <laughs> for digital books, they treat it the same. As- you know what? Somebody told me this, and I, <laughs> I, I think it was um, the drummer and Dumb Girls used to like check out ebooks or whatever yeah. from like i think maybe the la library has it also okay because it blew my mind what's well, it that infu- thing blew my mind it's infuriating because that I'd element be, yeah i'd be like i want this this book and they'd be like great like there's only four people in front of you so you'll get it in like a month i'm You're like, like it's digital I'm like, dude what? why can't we all have it <laughs> at once yeah and they're like it's a, yeah I, it, I like couldn't wrap my head or, i mean i guess if you could get it, like no one would buy digital books. If every library could, like, yeah, it load. might be a, it might be part of like a term terms of whatever their, well, yeah, because when you business first arrangement it, it, sound, it sounded to me, it just it sounded infuriating. But then the more I thought about it, I think that the way a library works is that they're, you know, the essentially the publisher grants them a certain amount of copies that they can then distribute to the public. Okay. Yeah, it's not oh, in the yeah, best interest. Yeah, yeah. Of no, the, that, it's right. not in the best interest of the publisher. I know that would be just making it completely free. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I we, I've had a lot of authors. That is, it's more infuriating yeah. because it's not tangible. So yes. Like, there's no reason why I can't have it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just making this rule up. <laughs> oh, you can have it now. You just buy it. I've had yeah. a lot of authors on this podcast, and a lot of them I found through just like checking out random books at the library no way. and seeing they live here. But I always feel weird. They're like, they're like oh, what do you think of the book? I'm like, good. I got from the library, and I feel like I'm always like, I didn't pay for it. Cheater. Like it feels no. like no. I I mean, anytime I hear that my music is in the library, that's like the coolest thing ever. I my backup plan was librarian, which is funny because that may be harder. In terms of a, finding a job. Yeah, that's true, especially now. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, here's yeah. another thing that I don't understand about reading. Uh, <laughs> how how can digital books be cheaper than physical books on Amazon, which I feel like happens all the time, where they're like, you can download it for $8 or you can like buy like a paperback for like $5. Um... Hardcovers are cheaper than Kindle. It's, it's just weird sometimes. I don't understand how... how a digital thing can cost more than a physical thing because they have to print it, it, they have to ship it. Yeah, I mean, it might just be because it's still like new media type thing. There isn't like 
I'll the the leverage or something? It's because you've spent $300 on this fucking reader. You're going to read your damn book on that, and they know yeah, it. Yeah, that's And they're going to charge you as much as they can, man. Yeah, I think it's just taking advantage of like a new it's business totally model thing. Totally taking advantage. Do you do the digital Kindle type thing? Or? I do for um, road, longer probably, traveling. Like yeah. I, took, I took it to this little trip that I did for about a week, but... Um, I really still like reading books a lot. There's some kind of satisfaction in like, you know, just the physical act of it. I like reading like before bed sort of thing or on the subway. I love seeing people reading on the subway like a book. Yeah. It makes me super happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But I do have trouble at times reading on tour because I get carsick really easily. So I'm working on that. Yeah, that sucks. That used to happen to me a lot. I got over it. But reading is even worse than like watching TV or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, But I started doing like, I started experimenting to see if using like a Kindle was less likely to make me, um, I, I didn't reach a conclusion. I have no, I had no hypotheses and I have no conclusion. Reading is really bad for car sickness. You can, there's like physical things you can do for car sickness, you know, like. um, Throw up. Yeah, you can throw up. (laughs) But no, if you like, if you have, um, if you're sitting in a really soft seat and you're not really like touch, like if you touch something solid, that like helpful armrest or something, yeah, interesting. I think reading is just really tough if you're prone at all to car sickness. Yeah, more so than like, like I said, like watching TV. But I just sleep. Yeah, is, yeah. is the, the solution at this point. That's yeah. good too. Um, I was sort of listening to the, your new record, sort of. I was I was listening to it, but I kept getting interrupted. Ah, so sort of that. Yeah, I was totally, trying to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that sounded like a, like a weird like European thing to say. <laughs> like I was sort of listening to it. I was really listening to it, but there's a lot of other things sort of, going yeah, on. Cool. Yeah, that's. I mean, well, I feel like that way a lot. Like I feel like I'll I get so many records in the mail and like or digitally now, but yeah, I'll, like be so excited to hear something and then. I'll be doing something while I'm doing it, and then the record's over. I'm like, I didn't, don't remember uh, anything. I do that all the time. <laughs> and I really wanted yeah. to listen to it. And then you go this. back and listen to it again, yeah. and then you get distracted again. again. <laughs> I do that with reading sometimes, too, though, where I'm like, I'll have to read the same page, like, multiple times because I'm, yeah. like, eavesdropping yeah. to the couple next to me or, like, you know. Right. I think my attention span's gotten worse. I feel like I used to be able Everybody's to read for has. hours. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Now Everybody's it's like, has. Yeah, it's... It's a trip. It sucks. But, um... And then I was reading. I was reading about your record, um, fully immersed in this press release, mm. um, maybe Becca Road or something. And uh, it was referencing like sort of like '80s pop, like sort of like Debbie Gibson or like stuff like that. And I was curious, like how that maybe figured into the record because that seems um, very different from maybe like Dum Dum Girl stuff or like I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me first. Okay clarify that um the the day that we announced this project like for real the day that that press release went out so you know there had been i don't know like a couple weeks of prep for that like i met and did like a long interview with the person that was going to write the you know like new bio whatever it was a big deal because it was this whole new thing um and she wrote like a really great piece and i'm a control freak so i like go through and edit everything and i'm like looking at it and it's always interesting to me because I like I talk about everything you know I I talked as much about Janet Jackson as I did about I don't know 
Robert Fripp in the you know in in our chat. But it's interesting to see what people like hone in on or pull out, you know, from their perspective. So she had um, definitely included a lot of references, you know, um, to that era of like whatever 80s, early 90s pop singer, which I admittedly like loved as a kid, like in the moment when it was real time. Right. That was my jam. Um, But I'm thinking like, oh, well, that's that's like somewhat one dimensional and I don't want this record to be like written off as like oh from one you know pastiche to the other right, you know? right totally so i pulled that out okay and somehow there was like the secondary press release that was like a much shorter version of this bio um where i was left off like the copy or something okay and so you know i fucking didn't sleep at all the night before it was like christmas like total anxiety knew i needed to wake up like at 8 a.m to like watch it all unroll and like i decided i was going to be like really vocal on twitter if people were like calling bullshit or you know i just didn't know what to expect i didn't know if i was going to get a lot of kickback for like starting over or something um so the first thing i read i think maybe stereo gum let off with it or something and i and i and i'm like reading this thing and I'm like where'd that why do they why okay first of all <laughs> that quote that that's a quote that I probably said but I I like sure as hell did not allow that to stay like I sound like an idiot or like why is hmm yeah. how hmm and I, I like have like a panic attack and I'm like I don't understand like where do they get this information like what is this thing that they're referencing and it created this huge confusion because everybody thought I was like aware that there was this kind of like secondary shorter thing and so when I'm saying like what are they quoting this from like what who sent them something that has this part that I fully edited out because it's going to like cast uh it's going to be like this is a synth pop record where she sings like Mariah Carey or you know it's like right um and it ended up like whatever I like it was good for me I like processed it over three hours and at the end of the day I was like you know what I do love Janet Jackson it's okay like, Grace. <laughs> I am silly I just wouldn't have led with that like fine yeah. Um, but yeah anyway the this the story really was just um, aside from like the the obvious 60s stuff that was my first exposure to music from my parents which was a big part of Dum Dum Girls because it was what I was referencing when I was learning how to write songs. Um, and then obviously like 70s punk stuff, same sort of thing. Like the first songs I relearned on guitar once I finally like committed to getting over the like whatever sound, um, you know, <laughs> or like Ramones and Bob Dylan and Velvet Underground. Um, but the first music that was like mine, mine, you know, like beyond what my parents played at home was, you know, that era of pop music. And it was, excuse me, a little bit from the radio in the car, maybe, because at home we had an oldie station or like talk radio on 24-7. And then um, I took dance from like kindergarten onward. So, you know, like I did routines to Paula Abdul and Janet Jackson and Madonna and all that stuff. So I think that's where that came from. And I thought I was going to be a dancer first. Like I felt, I was like, this is kind of a funny story too. Um, I uh, I was painfully shy. Like when I, up until I think I went to kindergarten, 
I was like really precocious and like, you know, entertaining and not loud, but like an only child kind of like, um, and then my little brother was born and then I went to kindergarten and I became like, it was like a slap in the face. I became like painfully self-aware. I like had no self-confidence, no self-esteem, like went, became a mute. And like, that was basically what the rest of my education or like school experience was until I went to college. Um, but somehow in my dance classes, which were once or twice a week, they were twice a week. Cause I, I took like a couple different classes. I somehow retained that like initial personality and was sort of like class clown even, but just in like this one weird, like hour chunk, like a weekly hour chunk. And it was with people that I, you know, grew up with essentially, like I took dance with them from age four until 17, but that's the only place that I knew them. But like, if you were to run into like, I can't remember their names now, Jamie or Jenny or something and ask them like, oh, what was she like? They would have said that I was like kind of a jackass and like loud and like perspective. Yeah. uh, Which was like not at all the case. But anyway, that stuff I was really into in elementary school. Um, And it was partially because of the dance thing, because it was like the full pop package, you know, like the singer dancer thing. And I just really liked that. Um, and I never stopped liking that. I just got, I just became like an indie kid or whatever. Yeah. My sister, I have a younger sister who's two years younger and she was really into that stuff too. But yeah. yeah and she was just watching that video, that pub duo video, um, opposite to tract. Yeah. Which is crazy that they, that MC scat cat thing. Cause it's just weird to see like a <laughs> pop star hanging out with like a cartoon character, <laughs> but kind of cool. There was some, yeah, pretty incredible videos back when the video was. See the family guy. Semi new that video. No. <laughs> oh wow. Kazam dressed like a cat. <laughs> it's pretty good. Sounds I like great. Family Guy. <laughs> the bird. Bird is the word, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that another. Was that's another oh, good yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I like. I like driving a joke into the ground. So. Yeah, that one takes yeah, it like that's really... like ten minutes or something. Yeah. It just like never lets up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking Peter. I mean, what um, what was sort of like the impetus for sort of. I guess, like, whatever you want to call it, it's like a solo record or something. I mean, did you feel like, like you just wanted to do something different? Or was it, was it interesting um, to explore a different aesthetic? Or Yeah, I mean, yes to both of those questions, but those are maybe, like, more superficial things. Like, it, it was... Um, and a lot of this, too, is, like, things that I felt, but I didn't really, like, identify or expand on why I was feeling this way. But I started to feel, like, and really, uh, I think the point was driven home to me uh, with the last Dumb Girls record where, you know, like, I've tried record to record to expand on the sound and make progress. Like, it was a lot more obvious, um stylistically from the first record to say the second record and and I put like a little EP stepping stone in there because it went from me recording not knowing what I was doing myself to like working with an engineer basically so like obviously there was like a big sonic step up there and then as I just you know learn more chords on the guitar you know like it it went uh you know and then also it's like I didn't want to be the Ramones because I'm not, like, as good at, at, like, 
really perfecting like a relatively consistent thing, you know, and I get bored. So it was like, I, I want to do different things. And it, it allowed, Dum Dum Girls like allowed growth without any issue uh, until I feel like my last record. And I think these are all like thoughts I've, I've had recently where it was like I my EP before that, which is called End of Days, um, I think it was five songs and they were like pretty different song to song. Um, and I was really proud of that record. And then with Too True, which I'm also proud of, um, I think I, I think I like forced it a little bit. Like I remember when I think about it now, it was like, I really tried to surround myself with certain books and certain records. Cause I was trying to like take this sort of, you know, leap into this other area but it was like I almost went at it like a little too aggressively or something um and so I think I overshot what Dum Dum Girls was like capable of performing and so there there was a discrepancy between like the record and the live version to some degree um and it was also the first time I started you know I don't I'm not like I don't seek out criticism or whatever you know like I I'm like sensitive to some degree but I'm also just like I you can't care you know right, if, if totally. you're motivated by yourself you know by what you're doing like you should just keep doing that that's that's going to be um authentic like if you start you know you never would want to cater to like oh well they won't like that so I won't do that um but anyway it was the first time where I was seeing how something that to me made sense that I had gone on to do was getting um, or was being heard through like the filter of like whatever this template of Dum Dum Girls like is or isn't. And it wasn't like an objective understanding of the song. It was like, how does this relate to what I think Dum Dum Girls sounds like kind of thing. Okay, And so... You know, throughout the course of touring to True, you know, the, it was just kind of like growing pains where I was like, oh, wow, like I, I think it's not that I took it too far, but like, I think that I, I like, I'm just, I'm, I'm seeing resistance to like where I'm trying to go or like, I'm seeing that, um, I've like kind of like isolated myself from some group of fan, like they don't get why I'm doing this or what it was the first time that I was like, Oh, I miss like early dumb number. You know, it was the, it was like, I started to see that a lot, which I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> um, but anyway, so, you know, the more I, I thought about it, um, and tried to like, I took, you know, some time off and got a little perspective. I was just like, I think I've, I think I've hit the ceiling. And I think that no matter what I put out, it's going to be, it's going to funnel back through like, garage rock all girl retro like whatever these like very very specific and like archetype i mean you know these these very defined things and it wasn't a problem before but now it's a problem because i am still on my like ever forward <laughs> journey um and i know what i'm gonna do next is gonna be like so much beyond 
you know, whatever the last thing I did was and it's gonna, it's, it's now working against me. It's like, do I put out my fourth record? Um, like how, how would it even land if it's, if it's being judged, you know, um, about how it fits into like the legacy of whatever Dum Dum Girls is. And so it was, there was like a whole back and forth with Sub Pop about like, what the next step was and if we were going to take it together or you know what was going to happen and we landed at like yeah okay I'm going to make a fourth record but I was like I'm not going to worry about any of that and instead I'm going to like open the whole thing up to like anything that I feel like doing not write a song and say oh, well, that's a good song, but it's not, like, appropriate for Dum Dum Girls. Like, I didn't want to ever say that again. Um, so, yeah, I just decided I was really going to go for it, and I, like, got different producers because I'd worked with the same people for every record, and I was like, well, yeah, okay, I'm really, you know, I've created a lot of this, the things that are potentially now limiting me are, like, things I set in motion at a certain point. I just didn't realize they wouldn't be malleable, like, later on um so yeah new producers stopped playing the guitar wrote on piano like kind of everything um you know tried to tried to um or didn't even try to just let like everything else I like filter in you know whether it was yeah like a Madonna song or a Janet Jackson song or yeah, I'm really into kraut rock so like lots of like like, if there's going to be guitar on this record, it's going to be, like, Ebo, like, Mikko Rother's style or something. Um, and, uh, you know, little bits of reggae, whatever. You know, just literally whatever. Um, and uh, I thought I would just, like, sort it out, you know, how it, how it would work later. But it was ultimately just, like, I felt like uh, I'd painted myself into a corner and that if I were to put out this record as Dum Dum Girls, it would just, again, be like, how does this compare to, like, the understanding of Dum Dum Girls? You know, it would be like, what's the Stones record? I'm not the Stones. Clearly, I'm not the Stones. But, you know, like, the, what, Satanic Majesty, you know, like, uh, the, yeah. the record where they're all, whoa, and then they're like, whoa, that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Cool, going back, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm not going back. That was not what I meant. Um, but, you know, I was just like, I just don't want to... I don't want to feel like I don't have like um, authority over my own music, like, you know, or the not even the right, but like, I don't want to be made to feel like if I do, if I explore some genre I've not done before, that it's like a bullshit or not, not appropriate, not my right. It's like, like, who are you? <laughs> it's, I think it's smart because, you know, you, you can come back to the Dum Dum Girls, you know, like. And it's and it's also telling your fans that this is different. Yeah, know? and that that was the other thing. Like, I felt like you know, I had, I, uh, it wasn't easy, nor was it planned at all that this is how this would happen. Like the Chris Control thing was like a last minute solution that like seems now it's like oh meant to be perfect, like totally makes sense. But it was like I, we had no idea what what it was going to be if it wasn't going to be Dum Dum Girls, but I didn't want to be cut, like, part, as as much as it was starting to be frustrating, like, 
the limitations of Dumb Dumb Girls. It's also because it's such a thing and it's a precious thing to a lot of our fans. And it like is an empowering thing, especially for young women. And I was like, I don't want to fuck with like the infrastructure of Dumb Dumb Girls, like how I'm going to tour it. Because like this is a completely different record. It's like not a four piece rock band record, you know. Yeah, it's I like, know. I think it's really val. I think it's being really fair to the fans. Yeah, and I was like, it's a thing. I don't want to. I don't want to dismantle or destroy like this thing that yeah. they love, and that really like has a life of its own. So like, I can very easily just step <laughs> away yeah. from that, and that stays, and that's better. Like, if you see me on stage with my two producers as the band you know, wearing some sort of red pantsuit and there's not a single guitar on stage and I'm calling it Dum Dum Girls and I'm doing like a song that kind of sounds like Ace of Bass. Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. like what? You know? <laughs> and I, yeah, I mean, and, and Dum Dum Girls was, um, even though it was you know, like on paper, still just a solo thing, um, it, you know, at a certain point, I was like, no, nah, it's, it's, you know, it's a band and it kind of lives and breathes on its own. So I'm not going to try to change that. And and that was also a little bit of a lesson that I learned with Too True, which was just in like all the press and prepping for that. I was trying to reestablish like, look, this is my thing in case it, like you didn't realize this is my thing and it can be whatever I want it to be. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, like that was not really taken to heart. <laughs> okay, good, watch out good, to know. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. They always so, latch yeah. on to ugh, the thing you don't want. It seems like it's funny, <clears throat> yeah. And I really tried to control, and that that was the other thing. You know, the other kind of like learned the hard way thing was I was really trying to control how everything was perceived, um, but to a fault. Again, because then it was just like, oh my God, now I've just like made myself like even more focused into something else because I've like tried to control everything. And with this, it was just like, look, there's no template. No one has any idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like the the record is really different song to song. I mean, and there's obviously things that tie it together, but it's basically, it's six songs from one producer who's like wildly different from the four songs from the other producer. Um, the songs are, as I said, like they're different song to song and then each song is produced pretty differently. So I was just like, yeah, let me, let me see what you got now. <laughs> like, there's no rule here. There's no template. And that was important for me to establish because now I feel like going forward, I don't have to worry about any kind of like context that I'm not presenting myself, you know? Definitely. I mean, was that experience like, would you describe it as like liberating or more like daunting or sort of both? Um, it was daunting on like the confrontation <laughs> side of things. Um, and also, you know, like I was very aware that, you know, for all of the Dum Dum Girls fans that, you know, like me and like, you know, love my songs or like love how I sing them or whatever, there's like a ton that are like, you know, fans of the other different members or, you know, fans of the fact that it was like an all-female band. And, you know, it. I knew that even though to me, I'm like, but it's it's always been my thing. And like, I write the song, like if you, eh. you know, I was like, I, I can't expect that it's going to translate entirely at all. Um, 
But the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Like if I put out this record as Domino Girls, it's a waste of a record, basically. Like it won't go off like it would go off if it didn't have like baggage, right. kind of. Um, so I was like fine with that. I was like, I'll get a job, dude. I don't care. You know, like I'm, bro- I, well, I started DJing. You know, it's like I, I would rather, I would rather that. And I also, you know, started thinking about when I started Dumb Girls, which was, you know, I'd played in a bunch of bands and I was super burnt out and unhappy. And it was just me trying to get back into like a healthy relationship with music where I didn't like hate my life and hate, you know, art or whatever. Um, so I, you know, had some bullshit job and, you know, would come home from work super tired and I would just stay up for hours like writing just because that's, I was compelled to do that. And it was, you know, I was the poorest I'd ever been, um, the, you know, the busiest, but also, you know, spending nine to 10 hours a day working something stupid, but it was like all for the cause type thing. I was probably the happiest I'd been in a long time you know, or, you know, at, at any point just because it was exciting and challenging and like a struggle. Um, so I was like, I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I thrive, you know, in that environment. Um, I don't like feeling bored or like it's a cakewalk or something. I'm like very concerned if that ever, you know, if I'm like, wait, this is like, I'm, I'm a sloth like <laughs> person right now. So I appreciated that, uh, I was going to have to work extra hard because I'm a hard worker. So I was like, bring it. I'm ready. But on that note, it went over really well. Like I can honestly say only like of people that reached out to me directly because now that's a thing that fans do is they tweet something at you, you know, and and you see it. Um, Very few negative reactions. Um, and I'm also like willing to like explain if somebody's like, what the hell? Like, why did you do this? You just like, oh, and then I also did this thing that was crazy where I just changed all the handles of my existing social media. <laughs> Instead of making new ones, I was like, fuck that. I like worked eight years to get all these people. I'm not like, starting over. Um, but I want to read you. Oh, wait, maybe I took a picture. My sister has done stand up. My sister's like um, on television and stuff, and she's done stand up. Can she... I meet her? Yeah, totally. I want to be a comedian. Yeah, she's a comedian. I'm not joking. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk after. Whoa. Um, but uh, so many she's been doing stand up where she like reads tweets that people send her, and like some of them are so insane. I got one today that was like, "Hey, can can I have your permission to marry your sister and copy my sister on it?" And I was like, "No, I'm not gonna respond to you." But like, it's, what do you think I'm gonna say? <laughs> like, yeah, dude. <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a good match. It's weird. Sounds uh, like an asshole. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Okay, this is Lee M. Arnold, whose last message to me was in 2012, which was a nice message. I can help, oh, I can't help but think if you and Summer Twins did some shows together, that would be an amazing double bill. Which is like, it must have been, that band, I think I played with them at like a Burgerama Fest a couple years ago. Anyway, so now April 11th, 2016. Please don't do this. You were a very bright light and a beautifully dazzling sky. This top 40 pop, they're never going to love you the way that we love you. 
How much of your own life have you given up for commercial success? Though beautiful, and I have judged more than once in person, your <laughs> ass will never pass over into the realm of the tacky pop fuck. So there's like three main issues with this, which is, first of all, he's a sexist asshole and go fuck himself. Secondly, how much of my own life have I given up for commercials? Because I'm really successful yeah. now as Krista Control, like super successful. And it's not top for it. Anyway, I just wrote back, seriously. P.S. So, I'm 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry if you're little, but I, like that's fucking... Yeah. Obnoxious. Yeah, like, true. who does that? Like, yeah. Like, what's expect you're going to be like, oh, thank you so much. Oh, my God. I can't believe I almost made the <laughs> biggest mistake of my life for money <laughs> because somebody came to my house and offered me a bag of money if I would stop <laughs> Dum Dum Girls <laughs> and, like, write a different record. I was just like, I don't, I've given up. Like, what? I don't have success. I'm poor now. Like, <laughs> I had success maybe before, but anyway. That was like one of five. So don't do that is the lesson here. Don't be that guy. Yeah. And if you are that guy, I'm going to try to help you understand why that guy is a fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was good. That was fun, huh? Yeah, I'm glad that, you know, I I can be around for some of these. I'm glad too. Um, So yeah, if you liked... uh, Kristen's music check out dum dum girls obviously and check out her new record excommunicate when it comes out on sub pop on may 27th which is super soon which i can't believe it's already we're already talking about the end of may yeah it's coming up man summertime summertime and living is easy yes speaking of summertime if you want to see united nations this summer hey uh, really yeah we'll be playing june 21st in boston at great scott Great Scott. And June 22nd in Brooklyn at St. Vitus. And we'll be touring with Relayer, which is features a going off track past guest, Trevor DeBrow from Pelican, who's also United Nations' publicist. It's probably tough for you to tour and not be touring with some former guest going off track. At this, at this point, point, it sort of is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, Trevor's band, Relayer, just put out this album called D-Layer. Oh. And... It's fucking awesome. I've been listening to it a lot. I actually think you would like it, Brad. I'll send it to you. I will check it out. It's really cool. Um, I'm also going to plug my record label. Oh, yes. Soundwag label is reactivated. Probably by the time this comes out, I think the first release play date should be out. It's a re-release of a friend of mine's band. Um, What are they called? They're called Play Date. Okay, gotcha. Not Play Space Date. Or Play Mate. (laughs) Um... Yes, I think that comes out like the 27th or something. And then there's a Goops release a week after. So Goops B-Sides. Some unreleased material from our early days. It's some really good shit. There's some a couple of songs that were on our first record that are actually much better versions. We should do Going Off Track where you are the guest. <laughs> and you can promote your new album. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks to Kristen for coming by. Thanks to Rubber Tracks for letting us do this. Um, if you want to support us, go to goingofftrack.com. You can donate a dollar, whatever. Everything helps pay our server costs. You can leave us a nice comment on iTunes. You can tweet at yeah, us. Speaking of iTunes, apologies if uh, some of you subscribers are getting late editions. Uh, it seems like our, the, we usually go live Wednesday morning with all our new podcasts. For some reason, iTunes is being weird. 
and it's taking a couple of days for the feed to update. So, so email Apple, email <laughs> iTunes, tell them you want going off track to be their main priority and they need to get their shit together. Yeah. Right? Hopefully, yeah. I don't think it's anything I'm doing in the code. I think it's correct. Yeah. So it's, it's just it's just a quirky it's a quirky format, the pot the iTunes podcast. So sorry. I guess I'm apologizing for iTunes if that's what's happening. It's magic to me. I have no idea how Brad makes <laughs> we talk in this room and then all of a sudden it's on iTunes. Wow. Yeah. It is magic. It's magic. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. You're welcome. All right. Uh, thanks again to Kristen. Thanks to Brad. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next Wednesday. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear us on iTunes Wednesday. But remember, even if we're not on iTunes, you can download or stream it from goingofftrack.com on Wednesdays. Woo!